ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. What up, A-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Sean Mapes filling in for the assistant to the regional manager, Joe George. And it is a Thursday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Rockets free agency starts tomorrow. There's some rumors about some more names to be coming to Houston, not named Josh Primo. Uh, Bad Take Boulevard, we have the will of bit. Sean Mapes, as we mentioned, filling in for Joe George. What is it like to be filling in with such large shoes to fill? Joe's? Yeah. Or, or a large shoes. chair. Yeah, a big, big chair shoes. to fill, yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. No, it, it's so great. I, I love hanging out with you guys. Are you going to be doing other work for the next three hours while you produce our show? Um, No. That's an upgrade. Not as, not as, or definitely not as much as Joe. Okay, good. Well, we thought good. you'd be interviewing interns, letting <laughs> people in the building on the second floor, and possibly having meetings with other high-ranking executives. <laughs> yeah, you could no, be doing all those things. More of maybe an email or two. Mini hats. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, the intern when I walked in today goes, hey, Joel. Nice. <laughs> I go, don't ever insult me like that again. It's the meanest thing you could say to me. Yeah, it was the same one that was calling you Ron. And Rob. <laughs> and Rob. I went from Rob to Ron. <laughs> like, that's the thing, is how did he call you the wrong name all week? He then learns your name, Joel. And then when I walk in, calls me Joel. <laughs> I think I think he should just classic. stick with sir. I it think, was I so think... funny. <laughs> it was going, classic. Tell me you don't want to work here full time <laughs> without telling me you don't want to work here full time is the way I would describe that. Like, I can understand confusing hosts. Like, if he called me Joel, I can completely understand it. I can, I can understand if he called you Jeremy, like, once or twice. But to have called you the wrong name entirely that doesn't belong on our show, then learn your name, and then call me your name, I found to be... The best thing that happened all week. I thought that was hilarious. Maybe slightly better than the Astros winning a baseball game yesterday. Maybe maybe not that far. We were talking yesterday, Blankers, about how when this team is behind late in the game, it just does not feel like they're going to come from behind to win. I had the same feeling yesterday. I was chalking up that the Astros have lost a series in St. Louis. I was thinking ahead to today. Can the Astros avoid a sweep with a J.P. Franks on the mound in St. Louis? But they hang up a five spot in the eighth inning, come from behind to win, and it kind of feels like the win of the year with the way this year has been going in the first half. I put it on the rundown as such. Are we going to look back at this game at the end of the year and say this was the game that kind of turned it all around, righted the ship, and got this team going in the right direction finally? Because you look at all the positives. I'm like you. It was so ironic but also so fitting that, you know, we had just talked about the fact that we get to a certain point in games and we kind of lose hope in this team's ability to come back and win them. And then last night I was getting that feeling and I was going, oh my God, here's another game that I feel like they should win, that not only are they not going to win, but now we're entering the last three innings where I think it's completely out of reach. And now no matter how much you thought you could get to Mikolas and and their pitching staff, you're like, now they're going to get deep into their bullpen where they can actually contain, hold the lead. And we're going to be in real big trouble. And then all of a sudden, it's like two knocks, boom, home run. Then Jose Abreu's hitting again. And that's why I said it was such a monumental game. Because Altuve settling back in is one thing. Abreu continuing to hit and piling on when you kind of needed it because you didn't know what you were going to get from your bullpen is completely another. We got two hits from a guy that I personally said I didn't want to see in the lineup anymore. 
in Madrid. Yeah, same. But started two rallies. Everything, yeah, everything kind of fell into place late to where as much as everybody was starting to feel bad. Because again, I'm scoreboard watching. I go, well, the Rangers were already up four nothing after the first inning. I'm going now. Not only is it bad that you're going to lose a game you should win, you're going to lose another game in the standings to to the Rangers. And then all of a sudden, just like that, you're like, God, it's the feel, it could be the feel-good story of the year. Yeah, it, it feels like the biggest win. Now, you, you need to capitalize on it, keep it going for it to really be that. We'll see if it is. Um, Jose Altuve, he returns to the lineup after hurting his hill in those dangerous, dangerous extended bases that they've implemented into Major League Baseball. Straw that stirs a drink for the Houston Astros, where he, he gets on base five times. He hits the three-run homer to take the lead in the eighth inning. Like, maybe he's the spark plug you need. Like, maybe he is the straw that stirs the drink, the spark plug at the top of the order. Obviously, he's like a guy that's maybe the greatest Houston Astro of all time. We think he's going he's to be in the Hall of Fame. And you see his importance immediately when the Astros need it. They're down by two runs in the eighth inning. They're trying to avoid a series defeat against lowly St. Louis, who's in last place in the NL Central. And all Altuve does is reach base five times, hits the go-ahead home run in the eighth inning, and it feels like all is well in the world for the Houston Astros. It really does. It's amazing how quickly everything kind of pulled to 180, and you went from being down and wondering where does this team go next and – and how are they going to handle this one? And are they slipping too far back to just feeling so good about a team that found a way to manufacture a win late in the game when it looked like the writing was on the wall that they were done? So I'm glad that there's a lot of positives, but now how do you respond to it, right? Mm. Just like the same way when they put up a 10 spot in a game and then they disappear offensively for a game and a half. Or that'll be put into test today. <laughs> exactly. Now, how do you look tonight when you should win a series against a team as lowly as you described in the Cardinals and capitalize on that win to make sure that you continue the momentum. Tonight's a big game for that reason. Wainwright has not been good either. No. He was pitching for St. Louis. Like He has the name value over J.P. France, but J.P. France has been a better pitcher uh, than Adam Wainwright this season. So it's a game that the Astros should win. If, if I've said this once, I've said it a million time, Blankers. Dick Willie's brilliant. Dick Willie's a genius. He is somebody who knows baseball. He knows game. He knows ball. Have you seen Jose Abreu's numbers in June? Dick Willie likes to point these yeah. out a lot. But Jose Abreu hitting that home run yesterday, big home run, had a couple of hits, has that batting average up to two thirty five now on the year. His OPS is up to six twenty two now on the year. But his numbers in June, if this is who Jose Abreu is for the rest of the season, sign me up. It's like no doubt. I will I will start to not be as mean to Jeff Bagwell. If this is Jose Abreu for the entirety of the season, his numbers in June, Blankers, after yesterday's game, he's hitting 292. He's slugging 517. His OPS is 822. If you're telling me that Jose Abreu for the rest of the season is going to be north of 800 OPS, I'm in. That's, that's the what, Jose Abreu I want. That's what Jeff Bagwell signed up for. That's the back of his baseball yeah, card. That is kinda. the guy. That's the return on the investment that this team was expecting when they went out and got this guy. Now, we don't know if that was going to happen the third year of the deal, and I know there's a lot to nitpick about it, but because of how bad the start has been and how awful he's looked, the fact that this June has given fan us and the fan base hope is is huge. And you're right. You've always been a fan of Dick, and, and Dick has been the guy that has been absolutely over-promoting you know, Abreu when he got off the Davis Mills bandwagon. And now he has something to legitimize the fact that he has a mad crush on Abreu. But for this team without Jordan, you have to have other guys step up. The Altuves and the Abreus and the Tuckers, and Tucker showed up last night too, this is the kind of production that you've got to have. Now, 
the icing on the cake where this team could actually settle in a little bit more is get production from some of the young guys. Jolks, Chaz has got to be more consistent. Jake's got to be more consistent. We need to see those guys too. Yeah, you, you, you want to start to see all of it. You want to start clicking on all cylinders, complimentary baseball, do all of those things. They hadn't been very complimentary of each other. They were yesterday, though. They get a bad start from Christian Javier, and then they score off. They score runs late. Their offense starts to click. Altuve, big homer in the eighth. The Brayu tacking it on, which you know lowers the stress because a 10-7 game feels a lot better than an 8-7 game lately uh, with this bullpen. You mentioned it a little bit as well, uh, Blankers, about Bly Madris. We've been critical of Bly Madris. Like, why has Bly Madris started two games in the last you know, week since he's been called up whenever you have an offense that's struggling and Bly Madris's numbers, quite frankly, aren't very good. If we're going to bash Bly Madris whenever he is poor, if we're going to bash Dusty when he plays a Bly Madris and, you know, as a pinch hitter starting in left field, as the case was yesterday, we got to tip our cap to Bly Madris. Yep. Started a rally twice, had a couple of hits, had the double off the wall, the little bloop single on the right that started the eighth inning, scored twice. And if we're going to bash Martin Maldonado when he's bad, you got to give Martin Maldonado a little bit of credit. He was one for four yesterday. That the Martin Maldonado, base knocking four wait, at best. Wait, wait. Great job, Martin. Wait, wait, boy. As much as we give him credit for like knowing, credit. knowing when to bunt and how to bunt, I held my breath on that bunt. That Did, I, I was not like, a fan. I was like, oh my god, it's going to get caught again. This is going to be disaster. And then it just kind of went boom and felt. I was like, oh, and it had backspin on it. I don't like the decision to bunt there. Like it's 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 much easier hindsight twenty twenty when Altuve hits a three run homer that we're not going to talk about it at all, which right. cool. I'm glad that he did. You're putting the tying run at second base, like you're playing for a tie. That's kind of weird. I, I would have honestly preferred a pinch hit spot there, but whatever. Hey, he, he laid down a bunt. I mean, it was executed. Altuve three run homer. We don't have to talk about it today. But it also goes back to what we said the last time we were talking about this with him bunting. That's a hitter that already in his mind believes he can't hit. Like, if he's doing that and knows that his best course of action is trying to avoid hitting into a double play, because he never runs the ball out to sec- to first base anyway. Right. So, a- at least to not take your your team out of a rally, if he feels like that's his only option. I mean, he's got a homer and a double the last couple days. Then, but then why do doubles, it, right? right? Yeah, but why do it then? I think he understands that he's a 180 hitter and that he thinks he's making the team move there, which, I mean, it is selfless. And like, he's a massive liability over. for a double play ball. I, I think, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For, he probably does know that. He knows that he hits into double plays. He knows he's a 183 hitter. When they when they pinch hit with him, or they pinch hit Blyman Driss for him on uh, Tuesday, mm-hmm. they asked him in the postgame show, he's like, hey, did you feel like you should have hit in that spot? Because remember, he had a homer and a yeah. double against Jordan Montgomery. And Martin Maldonado was like, look, you guys are mad whenever they don't pinch hit for me. Now you're mad that they pinch hit for me. He's like, this, it's my role. It's like the manager's decision. I think Martin Maldonado is pretty realistic with who he is as an offensive player, which is kind of like refreshing for a player, right? Because you get 180 hitters, they feel like they're 280 hitters. You get 180 hitters that feel like they can hit 30 home runs. And so it's like we don't love well, Martin Maldonado's offensive game, but I at least admire and appreciate that he knows who he is. Well, not only that. No one accepts your role, right? We keep talking about guys exactly. that no matter what, especially when they get paid a certain amount of money, they believe that with that comes, and they should be anointed, a lot of opportunities that maybe their their performance doesn't warrant. And at least he knows his role. He knows that you know they love him enough to keep him on the roster and start him at catcher and do all these things. He also knows he could be a liability and that he's going to be a good team player, and that's that's sometimes hard to find. 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Ron Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham. 
Maybe we buried the lead. That's for you to decide. What did you think about the game yesterday for the Houston Astros? And then how about Christian Javier? Second straight game where Christian Javier hasn't been the Christian Javier that we know and we love. What's going on with Javi? What's the concern for Christian Javier? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. One thing that I never have concern about, and maybe it's why I'm not concerned about Christian Javier, is because I have Gentle Ben in my life. You should have Gentle Ben in your life as well. I've been telling you about Gentle Ben for a while, and they are the absolute best. It all starts with the finest ingredients and classic, time-honored distilling methods. Gentle Ben uses their innovative process that removes the harshness and it's able to get the best out of their spirits. The result is unparalleled smoothness and an enjoyable drinking experience. You get all the flavor with none of the burn. Gentle Ben offers vodka, gin, straight bourbon, whiskey, and cast-strength bourbon. All are fantastic and all are in my rotation. Look for Gentle Ben at the liquor store, whichever one you go to or whatever's on the way home, and pick up a bottle today. It's close to the weekend. Pick up two bottles. You might need it. The next time you head to dinner, you go to your favorite bar, ask for Gentle Ben as well. Or if you're looking for plans, how about heading to that Gentle Ben tasting room? Head over to GentleBen.com. Find out more information. Also, register to win some tickets to Astros games. They want to send you to Minute Maid Park this summer. And when you go to Minute Maid Park, make sure you stop by the Gentle Ben bar right when you walk in the Union Station entrance. Gentle Ben, smoothest, honest. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. 6670, why do y'all think the uh, bunt was Maldi's choice? Are we sure he's not being told to bunt? I didn't hear you say this. Sometimes it's the player, sometimes it's the manager. Uh, Sometimes when the player bunts, it's on the player. He doesn't get told to, he doesn't get the sign, and he'll bunt on his own. That happens a lot. Usually more when they're bunting for a hit than when they're moving a runner over. Uh, but it happens pretty often. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Maldonado did it on his own. wouldn't surprise me if Dusty called it. I don't know. I don't it's know also recent history. We've seen him do it more than once. We've seen it do, him do it kind of frequently. Uh, he's doing, done it twice in the last, I'd say, five days or less. Could have been called, though. Could have been called. Been. It yeah. could have been. I don't know. But, but he's also done this in the past where there's times and stints when he knows he's not hitting the ball well. And as you mentioned, it's kind of weird because he really had good numbers in that game and, and, and against... Uh, the pitcher to where, you know, in the he's having a good series in, in St. Louis, but he chose whether okay whether he chose to do it or not. It happened again in a very yeah. short amount of time. It could be it could be Dusty's call. It could be Maldi's call. It could go either way. Uh, more times than not, a player will bunt on his own for a hit yes. and a sacrifice, but it still happens. It happens. And, quite and I often. feel like Dusty trusts his players enough that he doesn't put on bunts a whole lot. That I think that he basically trusts his veteran players, especially guys like Maldi, yeah. to just go up and be you know be a smart hitter. Seven five five four. I hate to hurt your feelings. Oh no! Uh, but Abreu signing was all Jim Crane, not Bagwell. Montero, yes, but not Abreu. Thank you for listening to the program, Jeff Bagwell. We know that you're a fan of the Killer Bees. How would he know that uh, the Montero signing was Crane, but the or the Montero signing was Bagwell, but the Abreu signing was Crane? I don't know because you know Maybe the he's minute an it happened, it felt like from day one, it just felt like it was Crane on Montero. Because everybody had put the emphasis on Crane that he was in the short term, he felt like that he was fully capable, and the organization was fully capable of of you know bridging the gap between Click and whoever his next general manager was going to be. Yeah, it was when they started telling us who was involved in the process, and Bagwell started coming out and talking about the reasons why they went and did what they did. 
that we kind of expanded who was involved in what. We we tend to kind of lump Crane and Bagwell together because mm-hmm. they, they were the parliament of the general manager for the Astros during the offseason. So we, we don't know exactly. Like, was it Crane? Was it Bagwell? But if I had to pick one player to give to Crane and one player to give to Bagwell, I'm giving Abreu to Bagwell, the former first baseman no that talks glowingly about Jeff Bagwell, and I'm giving Rafael Montero to Jim Crane, the former pitcher in college that says that you can never have enough pitching. So, look, maybe they were like in cahoots and signing both of these players. Maybe Crane was doing like pulling all the strings. Maybe Bagwell was pulling all the – who knows? Who knows exactly? Bagwell's kind of taken the face of the general manager for the Astros during this past offseason because he was the most vocal. But if I had to give one player to one guy, I'm giving Bagwell the first baseman and I'm giving Jim Crane the pitcher. And I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that right after that, because you didn't have a general manager or anybody representing the baseball side, Crane was the one commenting on wanting to keep the best bullpen in, in baseball together and, and, and feeling like Montero was a guy that he wanted to bring back. From the standpoint of Abreu, Bagwell was the guy that talked about being on the plane, going down to get Abreu. He wanted to be here. You know, he was literally visual as being a part of the process. And then, you know, subsequently after the move was made, he's been the number one defender of Jose Abreu. And especially since he does stints on television, it's not just press conferences where he's talking openly about believing in Abreu and him coming around and all these other things. Versace, uh, Todd, the show mentioned this on the Twitch as well. Versace was uh, bashing Tucker. Um, let's see what he said here. So we're we just going to avoid talking about Tucker striking out with the bases loaded with a 3-0 count. What do you think about it? I will let's see what he says. Uh, he says he's overrated. He calls Tucker overrated. We're going to avoid talking about Tucker striking out bases loaded, 3-0 count. And then he says that Tucker's overrated. Not a great at bat. I wish he had the green light on 3-0, to be honest I with you. I kind of thought about that, and it was a tricky is a, is a tricky situation because you know the guy has struggled mightily to find the zone, right? Mm-hmm. And you, but you also know that, so you know you, maybe there's a take there because he's got to prove he can at least find the zone once. Mm-hmm. But you also know that definitively he's been struggling so much, he's probably going to have to groove a fastball somewhere in the zone. But you know he'll get hammered if he swung at it and 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 popped it up or something like that. He would have. He would have. But I would have. I would have given him the green light there uh, because I trust Tucker to have an eye that he's not going to chase at something poor. That was the best pitch of that sequence. That was ninety seven right down the middle. Middle. Yep. It was middle. Middle to Kyle Tucker. Uh, I would have green lighted him there. I think it was still a two run deficit at that point. He got three straight fastballs, which kind of bothers did. me because. Just watching the sequence and watching the struggles, you kind of figured the only thing that he could find the zone with was the fastball. So whether with two pitches left, even if it's three, one count, one of those two, I'm just sitting dead red on both of them. And he seemed like he knew what was coming and he just, he couldn't time it up. And he got three straight 97 mile an hour fastballs. He was also three for five yesterday with a couple of doubles. I've been, I've been very quick to be the guy and never shied away from the fact that I've been critical of Kyle Tucker for not ever, you know, for this, as long as it took him to get to where everybody expected him to be when he was called up, and it took years, and I thought he underachieved a lot. I don't think he's a superstar by any means, but I don't think today's the day you bash Kyle Tucker. I don't think he's a superstar. I think he's really solid, and, yeah. and I think it's fair to say that he has underachieved to this point of the season, expecting like thinking of what Kyle Tucker was going to be. But he's got an OPS north of eight hundred. Like I'm not mm-hmm. complaining about Kyle Tucker uh, that spot specifically. Would you have liked one? him to produce? What's that? He's the only one right now currently in the lineup with an OPS over 800. There's one more currently that was in the lineup yesterday. Okay. In the lineup yesterday. Uh, is it uh, Dubon? 
Uh-uh. Well, he wasn't in the lineup yesterday. Oh, he wasn't in the lineup. He was at the very tip-top of the lineup yesterday. Altuve. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Altuve's and in 46. Short samples, I mean, yeah, he's not played the whole year. No, yeah, he didn't have enough to qualify for, like, right. leaders. But in the lineup, yeah, it's him and Tucker yesterday. Yiner was up there for a while, but he's now, he's struggled a little bit, 763. Chaz flirting with it, uh, 786, but can't play more than Jake Myers or Corey Jolks, it seems. All right, Christian Javier did not perform well yesterday. Second straight outing where Christian Javier's looked very mediocre. Actually, mediocre would be kind. He's looked awful. He's looked terrible. Two starts ago, went two, couldn't make it out of the third inning. It was the shortest outing he's had in his career as a starter. Yesterday gives up six runs on eight hits over four innings, only has one strikeout in that game. He gave up more home runs than he had strikeouts in that game. Christian Javier, a strikeout pitcher. We talked about this yesterday. The velos down a mile per hour. The RPMs, rotations per minute, whatever it is. The I think it's rotations per minute. It might be the revolutions per minute, whatever it's called. Anyways, is his, it per minute? I think it's RPMs. Is it minute? I don't know if it's minute. I don't or... know what the M stands for. Yeah, I don't RPM. Either. But uh, he everything's down. His fastball velo is down. The RPMs are down. The movement's not great. What are we making of Christian Javier, and what is the cause for concern here? Uh, there's there's some c- concern because we're starting to see the, the, this stack up. You and I talked about this before the start yesterday, that the fact that the velo's down, uh, the fact that he's he had a couple of rough outings getting ready for this one, and, and I would chalk this one up as yet another one. Uh, the thing that I noticed during the game yesterday that brought me concern is we, we normally talked about how his fastball looks like it rises, and it's so difficult to for hitters to be able to barrel up and hit. Look, the balls that were barreled up and hit were high fastballs, and, and both Goldschmidt and Arenado got exactly what the, got got a high fastball, and normally that's a swing and miss, miss situation. And they, they just absolutely barreled the hell out of two of his fastballs. And so that's a major concern because – he had the ability, even if he didn't have a plus-plus fastball, to have the to have the elusiveness on his pitches to get a lot of swing and misses and, and, and to do a lot of things with his two best pitches. The fastball ain't doing it anymore. And so that's a major concern for a guy that's one of the two best pitchers and penciled in to the top two in your rotation. And we know as much as you don't need five starting pitchers in the playoffs, you definitely need really two good horses at the top. And you got Fromber. But I don't know what you got right now in Javier, and that's a concern to me. Yeah, there's a lot of things that you can point at with Javier as to like, well, what is going on? What What is happening uh, with Christian Javier? I think the WBC is fair to talk about. Like the Astros pitched in November last year. You didn't have a long offseason. Javier also got paid. Is there like, is he fat? Is he happy? Like, I think that that is something that you can have a discussion about. You talk about the WBC, no real ramp up period in terms of like their pitching program. They're going to like actually pitch in games where they're leveragey. Like they're more leveragey in the WBC than they are in spring training is that's what's leading to a flatter fastball for Christian Javier is that's what's leading to a you know slower fastball for Christian Javier you can point to all of those things his fastball is much more hittable this year than it was last yesterday start specifically uh, I was watching the Cardinals approach they were spitting on his other stuff like they were they weren't respecting his slider and Javier is really a two-pitch mix guy he throws his curveball less than 10 percent of the time he throws his change up less than three percent of the time and we always know that starting pitchers have difficulty with only two pitches because the game plan is well I can only have to really get ready for two pitches and if you don't respect a two-pitch pitcher's secondary pitch, what are you doing? You're looking at fastball. Like, the ball that Nolan Arenado hit out of the ballpark yesterday was was dotted, top of the zone, inside corner. Like, that's not a pitch that should leave the yard. 
but it leaves the yard whenever you're literally not respecting anything else and you're sitting you're dead sitting on, on fastball. And then the Alec Burleson, it was the double down the line where that pitch missed the inside corner by two, three inches. But again, these dudes are good. When you're sitting and don't respect anything else, but you're sitting on fastball, they're going to hit it no matter where it's at. So WBC, maybe. Fat and happy with the contract, or the contract, maybe. I think it's more that he's a two-pitch mix guy, and the opposing hitters are not respecting his secondary stuff whatsoever. Well, and the other thing that I mentioned yesterday was, again, kind of like the Luis Garcia situation, you're talking about a guy that had, has, has had an excessive amount of, mo- uh, of innings put on his arm and pitches put on his arm that he hasn't necessarily been used to doing, and it's been over an extended period of time. Since he's been called up to the big leagues, and you throw into the WBC, as well as the you know the, the long playoff pushes and all the different you know significance that he's played and, and his role in all of this, it all adds up, and those miles matter. And, and that's why you're seeing less miles an hour on his fastball. That's why you're seeing the strikeouts all of a sudden go drastically down per start in the last three or four and you're seeing the balls get barreled up a whole hell of a lot more. And that's a concern. Maybe you need to, to do something like we've talked about in the past with guys that are struggling. But maybe give him a couple extra days. Maybe let him sit a turn in the rotation. But you can't afford to not have him with all of the guys you already know are not going to be a part of this team. Priority number one of the pitching staff has to be getting Javier right right yep. now. Like yep. that, That's more important than, than trading for an arm, honestly. Getting Javier right because he is a crucial piece of this team. Maybe he has an issue like where Presley had the, the whenever he was blowing saves, where it's like, okay, he's putting too much stock in that slider and too much stock in his breaking balls. Yeah. yeah, the sequencing. Maybe that's an issue, but it's difficult for Javier because he's really a two-pitch mixed guy. Uh, what is your panic level for Christian Javier? We'll get Blanker's panic level as well. 713-780-ESPN. we got to credit the, the bullpen yesterday too, don't we? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. E on the Twitch says that uh, Javier leaves the fastball up too much. It's Javier's game plan. I was going to say that. rising fastball. That was a state. That's what I just said. It was a staple of his career since he's been in the bigs. It's just that with less velocity, and because you said that guys are focusing on just that one pitch, they're barreling it up. I baseball savanted it to get nerdy here for a second. The fastball velocity is down. The fastball spin is down. Like la- this year, actually, sorry, last year. Last year tw- in 2022, he was in the 55th percentile in velo, which isn't really his game. Velo's not his game, but he was in the 79th percentile in fastball spin. This year, 36th percentile in velocity, 47th in spin. He's below average right now in fastball spin. That is his game. His mm-hmm. fastball's jacked right now. Like, we can talk about the sequencing, which I think is hurting him because these dudes are looking fastball, but something's up with his fastball. His fastball's not as good this year so, as it was last year. Fact, period. This is exactly the conversation we had the last time Velo was down with Ryan Presley. And the fact that yeah. if there isn't anything structurally wrong, there's a message at least being sent that you might want to give him a little rest, like sit him down a little bit and, and just try and figure some things out while he doesn't have, like I said, it could be just skipping a turn once or twice, but now's the time to figure it out. Cause he is as essential a part of this team as anybody other than Jordan because of the fact that there is no Verlander this year. There is no pitching death with the guys that are out for the year in the starting pitching. You have to have him 
be a prominent role if this team is going to go far. And so, therefore, the time is now to try and figure it out. They did it with Presley when we were worried about his velocity returned. His velocity that we were concerned about is now back where it was. And and, and you could do the same thing, I believe, with Christian Javier. So to your point, maybe this is the plan, one eight seven two to the Killer Bees. Not concerned <laughs> to, to whoever it may concern. Not that concerned about Christian Javier. The All-Star break's around the corner. All-Star break will give the team time to reset and get healthy for the playoff push. So maybe that's what he needs. Maybe it's he needs a the idea. week off yeah. of the All-Star break. Yeah. Maybe that gives him you know a couple of extra days, a few extra days. Uh, King of Twitch, it's all mechanics. They will find it. I tend to think that he's right. One of the reasons that I think is like an evidence and a clue to that as well, they got the bullpen up quickly yesterday, which makes me think they that they kind of realize that Javier's kind of working through some things right now because you quick to like if threw a lot of pitches too. He did, but he like he left the game with 80. Like the reason that he left the game was more cuz he was getting shelled. Like yeah, Dusty yeah. even mentioned in the post game. He's like I I could have used him for the 5th inning, but I felt like I needed to keep the game where it was at. So he took him out after 4. But the quickness that they got the bullpen up tells me, is a clue to me, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it's it's a clue to me that they know that Javier right now is fighting, shoot them th- fighting through some things mechanically. Well, the thing, too, that I look at is if both Velo and spin rate are down, then I believe it is something within his delivery to where he's not doing what he normally does because whether it's not, he's not trusting his, L, you know, the, the release point, with his elbow and everything and, and everything like that. Yeah. But with both of those in correlation, that means that something isn't syncing up the way it was in the past. Conspiracy theory could be pitch clock. It, it could be the time it could be the fact that he he has 20 seconds between the pitches instead of 35 seconds between pitches. Like if you get a little bit longer to rest, you can exert more energy, more strength, more power. Anybody who works out knows that. So I don't know why I'm speaking on it. Uh, 3780, do you think the reason they're delaying any kind of Javier diagnosis because they will be in an even worse position leverage-wise for trades? I don't think it's injury. I don't think it's injury. I think that the Astros are uber careful when it comes to players, pitchers specifically, uh, that if there was anything injury-related, I don't think Javier is throwing in a baseball game. No, I don't think it's anything like that, and I don't think he's going to be involved in any kind of trade talks either. I, I just think that this is a situation right now that I believe can be there's a remedy for it. It can be fixed. But I think that because of the – and the texter's right. Because you are chasing the Rangers, the ideal point and time to do this would be for the All-Star break. Now, he's going to have another start at least before the break. So you have to do what they did last night and be prepared for it already that, sure, you're going to try and look at some things and do some things, getting him ready for his next start. But especially because it's probably going to be against the Rangers that he gets that next start. Yeah, you you can't let that one get out of hand and you can't let him, you know, get out there and, and just start giving away runs early. So you got to have to keep a, a, a short leash on him. Dre Javier was working on mechanics last Sunday before the game in a bullpen session. It looked like they were tweaking his hips. I guess his hips are lying right now. But Dre would know that Dre season oh, tickets right there by that. right center field. So we have uh, we have feet on the ground at Minute Maid Park letting us know about Christian Javier's hip movement. In the bullpen, but I, I think that it is mechanics. Uh, I think that it is something with that. Hopefully, that hopefully it's that simple, and they can figure it out and get that velo back up and that spin on that fastball back up as well. Uh, Sixty thirty. Look at the last time he was a starter. Most of the year, he wasn't great. He's deadly when he's spot starter and long relief. He's built. Uh, he's not built to start an entire major league baseball season. Javier, even after two lousy starts, has a three seventy two ERA. Like this year, two lousy starts, yeah. he's still like decent ERA. I think it went up a. I think it went up a full run 
Wasn't it like under 225, yeah, like two starts and it, ago? Yeah, and it just jumped a, a full run. Yeah, over his last two starts yeah. or his last one start? I think last two starts. But last night alone, I, I, think, he was, I think he was like 270-something, 270-something last night going in and left with a 3-6 or 3-7. Yeah, the last two starts, he's been bad. Before his second, the, the second to last start, he was at 290. Like, his, he's been good this year prior to his last two starts as a starter. Last year, Christian Javier only appeared in five games out of the bullpen. He started 25 games. He had a 254 ERA as a starter. And then his first year in the bigs, the COVID year, started 10 of 12 games that year, had a 348 ERA. So that's that's a bunk. That's a trash take. No, he is good as a starter. He's had a rough outing or two. He's had, he's had a rough patch here. Hopefully they can get it figured out. 713-780-3776. Out to the HRP listener line. Willie, you're in the hive with the Killer Bees. What's up, Willie? Yeah, uh, I called to talk about Javi. And I think they should, uh, after he get his next start on Monday against the Rangers, I think they should skip that that next start uh, on Saturday and let him rest all through, through the All-Star break until his next start on the, the Friday after the All-Star break. I think he got it tired on. Appreciate the call, Thanks, Willie. Willie. I could uh, look. I could be sold on that. Like, if I need to take the temperature of what he looks like in his next start, because mm-hmm. if he goes out and pitches seven innings and gives up one run against the Rangers, like, okay, cool, we figured him out. If he's lousy again for the third start in a row, I'm on board with Willie's yeah, plan it, and your plan. If you were playing a different team than the Rangers, I, I might be completely all on board to just shut him down right now. But because it's a big series and because you could gain a lot of ground against the Rangers and a lot of momentum going into the All-Star break, I think that they're going to have a short leash, but they're going to want to see. They're going to work with him, obviously, every day leading up to that next start, and then they're going to want to see if it's made a difference. If it's made a difference, they're going to hope that he can be as effective as he can be against the Rangers because he's your best option to win the game. The devil's advocate, just this point for a little bit, it's not that I don't disagree, but just to to tell both sides here, the Astros don't have an off day until the All-Star break. So it makes it a little bit more difficult to skip a guy's start. They also don't have the greatest starting pitching rotation depth right now. Mm-hmm. Because if you're skipping a Javier start without an off day, that means you're starting a Brandon Belak. That's what I'm saying. You don't have a better option, and you're not playing a lesser-than team. You're playing the Rangers, the team you're chasing, and you don't want to give the ball to a guy that you know going in gives you a less than 50-50 chance to win in most scenarios against a team like that with the pitching that they have. Are you talking Javi or Belak? I'm talking about if you have to go to Belak versus yeah. whoever the Rangers That's throw. I yeah, I just don't want to be in that scenario. If you're playing the Rockies or something like that, sure, I might I might be more willing to take that shot and, and sit Javi down. But because that, that series looks already like it's going to be a bigger series for being this, you know, this close to the middle of the season, you got to go with your horses, and I got to see what he's got. There's a lot that are going against you for that because who you're playing, because the lack of off days before the break, and because you're thin right now with your pitching your pitching staff. Your, your starting rotation uh, really can't handle Javier uh, being skipped for a start. How about the bullpen yesterday? Uh, even the, the guys that normally don't get love, the Sean Dubins, the Seth Dubin, Martinez, yeah. although Martinez we've been giving some love. And then Abreu looked like his old self, a one, two, three, eighth inning striking out a pair. And then Ryan Presley, fifth straight outing where he's not given up a run and no hits in those. That was big. That stretch yeah, yeah, no base runners. I, I think the big thing to me was how good Abreu and Presley looked. They looked really good. They looked back to what we're used to seeing from them over the last, you know, twelve months. And so with little hiccups from from both guys, 
that was really, really encouraging. And from the Dubin standpoint, look, I think he did really well. He missed a spot, and he got and he had to pay for it. He got behind an account. He missed a spot, a, a gross miss of a spot, and he had to pay for it. But he had to do so, so. He had to soak up some innings there because Javi did come out of the game early because Dusty was trying to do a, a really, really tightrope act of trying to stay in that ball game but not tap into some of his back end guys too soon. And so the bullpen should get a lot of credit there. Especially Dubin, like just to to bridge the game to the back of the pen and Martinez. And I thought Dusty handled it well as well. Uh, 713-780-ESPN if you want to get in on the Astros. 713-780-3776. Also, when we return, have the Rockets dodged a bullet if you're anti-James Harden to Houston? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, right now, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend, Doc Linville. I've been telling you about him for quite a while. Doc Linville, the best in the business, in my opinion, at the Neograph procedure. If you don't know what that is, you may need to find out. Because if you have thinning hair spots on your head or pattern baldness or just flat out going bald, and you don't think there's anything you can do about it, but maybe mask the problem with a rug or sprays and creams and foams. No, you can fix the problem with your own hair. Because genetically, you're never going to lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head. That's a fact. The, the good thing that what Doc Linville is able to do is he's able to take some of that hair and put it where you need it most. Mainly, guys need it when their forehead becomes an eight head or when the baboon's butt starts showing up at the top of your head and you want to just wear a hat. You just want to you know not go out. You're just embarrassed by the way you look. He can fix all that with the Neograph procedure. And for you listeners of ESPN 97.5, you get a free consultation with Doc Linville and his staff. It normally costs 150 bucks. For you, it's absolutely no cost and no obligation. You need to go in there and do it. Just go to 975hair.com. Set up an appointment. Go talk to Doc Linville and his staff. Ask all the questions. Get all the facts. See if it's right for you, too. The one that really got me of all the different bullet points that they're going to give to you is, and Doc will tell you, 95 to 99% of the follicles that are moved are going to stay and grow, be with you for the long haul, get stronger and longer, and look better on a daily basis. The really true results are going to be seen in about six to nine months. The fact that you can see them almost immediately and see and know that they're there and they ain't going anywhere is what really encouraged me throughout the process. Check them out. Tell them I sent you by because I am the biggest fan of Doc Linville and the Neograft. It's 975hair.com. Welcome back to the Killer Bees Nuts. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Here's Joel Blank and that Jeremy Brennan guy. 3403, uh, three, three. Altuve, Pena, Alvarez, Bregman, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the Astros could be impressive in the second half. The, the, the ceiling is still World Series for this team. They're just a far away from that right now. Uh, they can get there. That is obviously in their potential. But they got a ways to go. One eight seven two. The roof is the ceiling. It always is. One eight seven two. Astros still got the best ERA in baseball, even with the injuries to our starting rotation, even with the uh, Javier struggling. I would throw in Montero with that. They actually no longer have the top ERA in baseball. They've fallen to third. They are behind the. Y'all want to venture a guess? Y'all want to venture a guess? Anybody? Anybody? Tampa Bay Rays. That's one. That's one. Um. I think the other one would surprise you. It surprised me when I looked at it. Orioles? No, Orioles are pretty bad. Yeah, normally they Tampa Bay's bad, actually second. Well, you said surprise me. Okay. Tampa Bay's second. Now, it's in that division. Okay. Uh, the Jays? The nope. Red Sox? Nope. 
<laughs> There's only one left. <laughs> Yankees? <laughs> yeah, it surprised me. Yankees have the number one pitching ERA in baseball. They're at 361. Tampa's at 362. Astros are 363. So it's still jumbled. It's still very, very tight. Uh, but the Astros, because of the start yesterday by Javier, went from one to three. And then, ha- and, and then the Yankees with Herman's start. Oh, that's right. Probably dropped a little. The yeah. perfect game yeah. from Domingo Herman, the Against the single The A's. abusive. He was abusing the A's like he's abused. I'll leave it at that. His significant other. And the sticky stuff with Domingo Herman. He doesn't too. have the greatest I, reputation, this Domingo Herman fella. No. And, and I've got guys in the gym that are from New York that are massive na- Yankee hunks. And I go, I mean, you know, they're, they're. I have one from three to seven. Chin is, yeah, true. Chin held way up high, bragging about stuff. I go, so time <laughs> out. So you beat a single A team with a, a pitcher that ha- cheats, whose last two starts, he gave up like 25 runs in his last two starts. I mean, he must have found a different way to be able to sneak and hide the the tack uh, on his fingers because, yeah, he got it. But, okay, if you're happy about it, go get it. Astros did employ Roberto Osuna, though. I'm just talking about the whole Garrett Cole uses the sticky, the sticky stuff. stuff is fair. It's fair. Herman has been caught. Twice. Twice. He only got ejected once. That's this year. This year. In the past, he had it on the back of his neck. <laughs> I think that was Seve. Oh, that's right. It was several. Well, there you go. So there's another <laughs> cheater pitcher for the Yankees. Uh, Kelly Eco, five minutes ago. This is going to be the this might this might brighten your day so much so that I think it's going to make your weekend. James Harden's going to the Sixers. Almost that quite that the Rockets are waving. Deshaun Nix. Deshaun Nix has yes! been waved by the Houston Rockets. I knew that would fire Woo! you. <laughs> I knew that would fire you up. I, God, I mean, if he gets another job in this league. Uh, he, he, he can go he be can an go all-star the in the G League. <laughs> yeah, he could be a G League all-star all he wants. So, yeah, the Rockets are waving guard Deshaun Nix, according to The Athletic, according to Kelly. Someone Eco. got Rafael Stone to nix the idea okay. of having him on the roster for another did. year. I think you ruined it. But, <laughs> That's what I do. But this is, I mean, this is good. Like, there, there's no reason he needed to be on this roster. Last year, whatever, you were losing a bunch of games and you were tanking. But you now if you're going to phase two, if you're trying to walk before – you know, after you crawl, then before you run, like the, this was the right move. You have too many point guards on this team now that you yeah, rather have. You also drafted Ty Ty Washington in the first yeah. round. There should no be no nowhere on earth says the plan that you draft a guy in the first round and have him play behind an undrafted free agent like Deshaun Nix. Yeah, you have you have free agent point guard that you're going to bring in, whoever it is, probably Fred Van Vliet. Mm-hmm. You have um, and Thompson. You have Thompson, who you just drafted, and you have Ty Ty. Like, yep. Those are your three point guards. If you even want to throw Josh oh. Christopher into the mix, I wouldn't. Well, But KPJ is going to be considered he, a point guard. I I, you and I know. both hope he does not play point guard. I feel guard. like Ime Adoka is going to change that. I hope. I, you know, I, we both are on the same page on that. But even then, like, even if he's playing the perimeter, like you're going to KPJ as an emergency point guard before you're going to Deshaun Nix. No question. So this is good. Like This is good that he's no longer here. I hope everybody's as happy as, uh, as Blankers is because he's lit up. I am. How about the, the Harden stuff, though? This is decision day for Harden in terms of his option that he has for next year, mid-30s for the option for James Harden. There are rumors out there that he's going to opt out, but the Sixers are prepared to give him a huge deal. Have the have the Rockets completely dodged the bullet that is James Harden as a free agent acquisition? I think so. I, I hope so. I think that the way I looked at it from the, from the get-go, just based on what everybody, you know, Chris Haynes and other people were reporting it, and what I had heard was, that everything that he wanted was exactly not what the Rockets could offer, with the exception of one thing. He wanted the money that the Rockets had and had the ability to give him. And they had an ownership group that wanted to have him back on this roster. 
But it didn't make sense then. It doesn't make sense now. And because his significant other is Daryl Morey, and because Daryl Morey is attached at more than the hip to James Harden, he wasn't going to let him get away. And he knows that as much as Nick Nurse really would like to have Fred Van Vliet on his team, Fred Van Vliet on that Sixers team makes that team less than what it was a year ago with James Harden. Hmm. I think that James Harden learned to coexist with Embiid. He also learned that there was Joel Embiid's a better player at this point in his career. And if he did what he was supposed to do, he led the league in assists by getting the ball to Embiid and others when they were open and trusting them. And he maximized his value again to where people started to believe he can still play on a pretty consistent level, whether you think he's a max player or not. He comes to Houston. He derails everything you've been trying to do with your young team, and he's going to try and prove on another level because he said he doesn't want to be a facilitator anymore. He wants to go back to being what he was if he goes somewhere else. That's exactly what the Rockets don't need. Yeah, uh, I think that, I mean, reading the tea leaves on this, I don't have sources, obviously. Uh, I read up Kelly Eco stuff, who's, you know, a friend of, I was going to say the show, but he's more of a friend of Blankers. Uh, <laughs> he says that the Rockets are out. He says that the Clippers are actually a dark horse. So it looks like the Rockets have dodged the bullet, if we feel that way. If we felt like James Harden to Houston was a bad idea, it, it does not appear that James Harden's reunion to Houston is going to happen, which... I know you're very happy about it, and I'm, I'm good with it, too. I, I didn't really want to harden back unless it was a very short-term deal and you literally couldn't do anything else. Now, the Stein line said this. Mark Stein covers the basketball for the basketball company he works for. It has reached the point when I speak to various teams that it would be a legitimate league-wide surprise now if Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks don't strike verbal agreements to join the Rockets by Friday night. Free agency opens f- five, east, uh, 5 Central tomorrow. We're going to start to see free agent moves as soon as tomorrow evening. Mark Stein's saying that Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, he would be stunned if they're not Houston Rockets on a verbal agreement by tomorrow night. Here's what I was going to mention to you, Jeremy, and I think it's worth discussing. In the case of Fred Van Vliet, I'm happy and it makes sense because there's going to be competition for his services. There's going to be a demand for Fred Van Vliet across this league, I think, at a certain level. And if you can lock him up, I think that's a big win for the Rockets. But I do think that there's only a handful of players that are going to be free agents starting tomorrow that can negotiate, that are going to get competitive teams to be competitive, making offers to where it's like a real estate deal where you can bump the price up because you're going to have multiple teams interested. I don't think Dylan Brooks has any other suitors that are interested in Dylan Brooks, especially at a very high price. What price, though? Because I think that he's going to have a lot of suitors at the mid-level exception. Right. Which is like 13, 14 million. You read, see, that's what I'm going to say. If you read Stein's column, the fact that he's going to get two years, 28 and above, I don't know that Dylan Brooks, in my mind, is worth $14 I mean, million. That's relatively close to the mid-level exception, though. And he's like a veteran player that's a 3 and D guy where I think he's going to have a lot of suitors in that 13, 14 million a year range. I, I'd kind of, if it was me, I would see the, I would let the market play out a little bit first to kind of gauge the waters and see. Who's who are players? And I would talk to the agent and say, hey, look, we're interested. We just want to see we're working on some other things first, but don't make a deal without at least checking back with us. That's a dangerous game to play, because if you really want Dylan Brooks, he's gone. But no, because agents know that if you got if you're willing to pay more money before they actually put ink to paper and they know if you've said you might be willing to match anything that he gets. Yeah, but they can lie to you. Like, I mean, but there's other Dylan Brooks out there to be had. See, that's that, that's that's the best point that I think you could make is because like. I'm more okay with Dylan Brooks than you are, but it's not a deal breaker for me. I'm not going to die on a Dylan Brooks hill. Like that's kind of silly. Um, the the contracts you referred to, the projected offers, Brooks twenty eight 
through $32 million in that range total over two years, which averages out to fourteen sixty, which is just above the, the MLE, which maybe is the type of deal that would get him to sign. Because I think interest will be had on Dylan Brooks at the mid-level exception. The Rockets at, you know, offer 2 to $3 million more per year. That's where, okay, Dylan Brooks is going to be a Houston Rocket. They also have the projected offer for, for uh, Fred Van Vliet at the max. $83.5 million over two years. Averages out. You do the math real quick. You know, a little bit under $42 million a season. I, I've been on record. I don't care as much about the AAV on any free agent. I just don't want any contract over two years. So I'm, I'm fine with these. I'm not going to be upset with these things. In a perfect world, though, if I had my druthers, I would use my cap space to trade for terrible contracts and then have those teams – Trade me draft picks in return yeah. for attaching the the you know for taking on the contract that I am trading for that is atrocious and abysmal and awful. You and I talked about it yesterday, and, and I and I think it's the right course of action. OKC has done this like to a science, uh, and the fact that Sam Presti has been able to stockpile so many draft picks and, and basically control almost a third of the next couple of drafts because of the way he's been able to take on contracts but be rewarded with assets and young players. That's what the Rockets should do right now because the other thing about Dylan Brooks I don't like is wherever he comes in and plays, he's taking minutes from guys that are young players you're trying to develop and see what what they can truly be. And when you look at Tari Eason and when you look at even, you know, whether it's Jabari or you want to go smaller and say he's going to play small forward, well, is that Jalen? I mean, what minutes is he taking? And every time he's on the floor, he's taking them from one of your younger players, and that concerns me. If you could take on a couple of veterans that, look, you know – they're going to be collecting a check, and you know that they know how to carry themselves on and off the court, and they could be a part of this team in some shape or form to kind of guide the young guys through, but they're not going to be on the floor a whole lot. That's a way better scenario than trying to force-feed a veteran because you had to overpay him in free agency. 713-780-ESPN. Free agency opens up tomorrow at 5. What do you want to see? 713-780-3776. And how about the latest name that has been linked to the Houston Rockets? Does Kyle Kuzma intrigue you? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.